0: Climate conversation spent Sunday, May 27, at the Bendigo Sustainability Festival. The festival, co-sponsored by the City of Greater Bendigo, was held at the wonderful White Hills Gardens for the Future, a spectacular venue. We got to talk with and record eight people who attended the festival. Beyond that, and almost as important, we got to talk with many more people, made contact with them, and established the fact that they could well be future guests on this podcast. And even more important, personally, was the fact that many people congratulated me on the idea of climate conversations and urging people to tell their stories about the climate crisis. It was a thoroughly rewarding day. Also, I should note that I thank those people who were bold enough, courageous enough to allow me to interview them and record the comments. Climate Conversations is about storytelling, and this was storytelling at its best. I talked to several people at the Bendigo Sustainability Festival about how they felt about the climate crisis, and it's pressure like that, pressure from below, that will change our government's attitude, and subsequently make it change its position on the climate crisis. Now let's crack on with what I heard at the Bendigo Sustainability Festival on Sunday, May 27th. But first, however, we'll get through a few formalities. Welcome to this latest episode of Climate Conversations. I'm your host, Robert McLean, and I'm coming to you from Shepparton in Victoria, Australia, from the lands of the Yorta Yorta people. Yes, the stolen lands of the Yorta Yorta people, and I pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging I've been involved with the practical side of the climate conversation since the early 2000s. That's attending lectures and reading whatever I could find. And although the public interest has broadened as the years have passed, it became apparent to me a few years ago that much more needed to be said. And it was important, terribly important, that we were making much more noise. Unsure of what to do to reach more people, I decided to try my hand, or should I say more correctly, my voice, at podcasting. And what you're listening to now is the result of those efforts. There appeared to be a great silence about the climate crisis, and this podcast is an effort by me to increase the volume of my voice, and so help end that silence. Fortunately, it was not as silent as I had thought, as many other podcasts were beavering away, And we're attempting to alert the world to the climate crisis. And several months ago, I was found, so to speak, by Mark Spencer from the Climactic Collective. Music for this podcast comes courtesy of Music for a Warming World, a Melbourne-based group. And you'll find a link to that group in the episode notes. I trust you'll enjoy this episode. And if you do, please feel free to share it with your friends. My first guest was Ken Hudson from Melbourne.
1: Why are you here today, Ken? Uh, well, two reasons, but the, the main reason is I've got an interest in sustainability um, uh, across the board, um, Say so in terms of how we can better live in our house in Melbourne, for example, uh, with less of a carbon footprint. Uh, it's an old house. It's got fairly typical uh, elements such as um, gas hot, gas hot water, gas underfloor heating, that sort of thing. So I'm just in the process of looking at changing those over to something I can feel a bit more comfortable about in terms of um, my carbon footprint. So are events like today important? Mm-hmm. Oh, essential, I think. Uh, and it's great to see a combination of things here because it it sort of normalises this whole notion of uh, the fact that we can think sus- about sustainable issues, we can think sustainability, we can think our impact on climate change, but it doesn't necessarily all have to be awful doom and gloom, and there's a lot of good about it, like all the plants you can plant that can help, <laughs> and uh, you know the, the the better use of energy. It, it makes you feel good, even just while you're doing it. Yeah. You know? How do you feel about climate change, Kim? How do I feel about it? Yeah. For, my, for at my age, personally, um, well, I'm <laughs> traumatized for the the coming. Generations, really. We've got grandchildren on the way, we've got a lot of great nephews, great nieces, that sort of thing. Uh, and they're the poor individuals who are really going to be dealing with the, the real impact of this. I mean, I'll probably be dead, but that doesn't mean to say I'm not worried about it. Um, I think what humans uh, have done and the lies that are being told right now about uh, the the use of fossil fuels um, and you know the stories that are made up about the so-called increased costs of... Um, alternative energy sources for example uh, just indicate that the powers that be those that really can make decisions about this aren't really taking it particularly seriously and and it worries me. So when did climate change cross your horizon? Oh um, in the mid-70s but uh, I haven't been particularly active with it but there were people writing about this in the mid-70s. So are you active now? Oh, yes, I'm active now. In what sense? Oh, well, in the sense of um, uh, a combination of things, writing to local members, that sort of thing, uh, supporting uh, individuals in our family who are fairly strong in um, the Greens party. So I don't want to politicise this, but, you know, we we help out with uh, campaigning, that sort of thing. Um, And uh, active in providing what monetary support I can in terms of donations to uh, organisations that are doing good works in promulgating the story of climate change, real man-made climate change. So what do you think needs to happen federally? Oh, uh, they've got to, um, sooner than than they're willing to, they've got to get out of fossil fuels, they've got to stop playing these games about whether they'll support an industry or not. Like for a long time there, for example, they were saying that uh, sustainable um, and renewable energy had to stand on its own. OK, well, has to stands on, stand on its own. And yet the federal government comes out and starts talking about subsidising a gas-fired power station. I think, well, hang on. It, it's, if it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander here. Um, and we, we should be pumping lots of our taxes, not only into education and health care and aged care, but into doing real things to help people um, uh, contribute towards reducing the impacts of climate change. So how do we prepare for and combat climate change? Oh, well, look, uh, events like this give people a whole lot of ideas. Um, It's everything from, as I said before, uh, switching from... It almost sounds uh, counterintuitive because I was brought up in the days when uh, electric radiators and things were just the devil incarnate. You didn't use them. Uh, Much better to use gas. Well, these days we now know that we can create electricity and we can generate comfort in our homes for example uh, without burning all those fossil fuels we can do it with wind and solar panels with hydro that sort of thing so I think people can start thinking about the impact they can have as individuals on a day-to-day basis. What do you do personally to counteract climate change Ken? Oh well we switch off a lot Um, (laughs) Now we're lucky there's only a couple of us in the house but we basically don't turn things on we don't have um all the, all the nice-to-haves in, in a house, so you know, we're living very comfortably. We use public transport, we walk, we ride our bikes. Actually, recently bought electric bikes, which I've got to say are not cheap. But so do you like them? Fun. So oh, th- fantastic. We sort of commute with them now. So where do you commute? Like, you live in Melbourne, Yes, so. yes. Yeah. Oh, well, for example, um, look, we're coffee freaks. We've got a little coffee machine, and the place where we get our coffee is about eight and a half kilometres away. Now, we would usually have driven that. Um, we might have caught the train and walked. Uh, we jump on the bikes now and go and get our, our hit of, our, you know, month's supply of coffee and come back. So we use it for, for short commutes in the city uh, where previously we might have either not done the job or we might have got into a car. Does climate change stress you at all? Does it stress me? Um, uh, mentally, yes, uh, because I see the effects of it. Like you look at our South Pacific um, neighbours, you know, they're starting to go underwater. You know, I know people who live in Fiji, for example, and, you know, they're telling us all the time about the, the increased storm surges and all of this sort of stuff. So in that sense, yeah, I mean, look, I'm, I'm one of the privileged few. I'm, I'm perfectly happily well-off, retired, you know, not a worry in the world for all intents and purposes. Um, so it doesn't affect me physically, if you like, but it's just on your mind all the time that it's, it's, it's happening. Mm. Yeah. Ken, is there something else you would like to say about climate change? Oh, um, okay. Message to the world, eh? Your message uh, to the world. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's it. Yeah. Look, um, um, take it seriously. Uh, listen, listen to the scientists. Listen to the, the proper scientific evidence. Don't just go onto blogs and YouTubes and, and don't believe people who say this is a conspiracy. Um, I mean, there's no such thing as a conspiracy that's this big. It's actually happening, and there's every individual can do something, no matter how small. Even if it's walk occasionally instead of using the car, switch a few lights off. If you can, switch over to sustainable energy, solar panels, that sort of thing, if, if that's your bag. Uh, buy green electricity if you're buying it from one of the big suppliers uh, and lobby your local member and ask them what they're doing about, about real climate change. It's conversations
0: with people like Ken that restores your faith in humanity. There's a man who cares. Thank you so much, Ken. Now we listen to another courageous soul who was at Sunday's Bendigo Sustainability Festival, Shamil.
2: Just for the record, what, what's your name, thanks? My name's uh, Shamil. I'm uh, 69 years old. I've retired and I've moved to Bendigo.
0: And uh, retired. So what did you do, Shamil?
2: I um, I was in finance. I used to work for Ramsey Healthcare which was my last job yeah. and I've been in the health sector since uh, 2003. And so what brings you here today? Well I live in Bendigo and a friend of mine has a stall over here so I thought I must come and have a look around see what's there and also try and assess you know whether climate change has got a presence or not and from what I can see it does have a presence here yeah. with, you, with you being around.
0: You said that you you're involved with Climate for Change, which is a Melbourne-based group. I understand. So that's right. Are they here in Bendigo, or you're you're representing them?
2: Well, I'm a volunteer, so you know I represent them wherever I might be, whether I'm here or in Melbourne. Um, and we host and facilitate conversations on climate. So what we try and do is get hold of a group of people. Uh, and either have a face-to-face conversation or have a conversation through Zoom. Mm. So why are you here today? Or just looking around. Do you think events like this are important? Yes, I do think so.
0: How do you feel about climate change?
2: Distressed. Frustrated. Why are you frustrated? Well, I think... Um, given the science... The time frame we have ahead of us, before things start getting pear in with greater frequency is not in the distant future. And our government is perhaps amongst the worst in the world when it comes to addressing climate change issues. When it hits them in the face, they make a noise for a few days and then they look for diversions by some other event and move on. Um, that has to change. And the only way it can change is people like the ordinary person making a collective move to put in place leaders who are going to be more responsive to what the younger generation needs going ahead. So
0: that's obviously what needs to happen federally. So is there anything happening here locally in Bendigo?
2: I don't think... I'm not fully tuned into what's happening in Bendigo, but I do think there's a lot simmering under the ground. Well, not under the ground, but just below the surface. There's a great amount of awareness and consciousness. Um, And I think with the right exposure within a short frame of time, things would change quite rapidly in Bendigo. And we could be very proactive um, for what should be done for the future. How do we
0: prepare for climate change?
2: I don't think you can prepare for climate change as such unless you've really been into, unless you've been exposed to it directly, like the people in southeast Queensland and northeast New South Wales have been, or like the people of the bushfire. We can simulate what needs to be done. At an individual level, I don't think people know exactly what they should do. If I take myself, I mean, what am I going to? What am I going to do to prepare for climate change? Am I going to stock up my larder? Am I going to sandbag my house? I'm going to cut the trees around my house. Um, I don't know. I think we need collective action now, not individual um, individual responding to what they think is right. So does climate change stress you out? Are
0: you stressed about climate change? It doesn't
2: stress me out, but it distresses me. I mean, it's going to happen, um, and you can't run away from it. You know, it's not like uh, a local conflict. It's not like, you know, I hate to use this as as an analogy, but it's not like keeping the boats out. Climate change knows no borders. You can't keep it out. It's going to affect us all. Very soon, and it already has started.
0: So, you're involved with climate for change. Are you doing anything else to personally combat climate change?
2: I try and keep my carbon footprint as small as possible. Um, I try, I talk to people about climate change whenever I can. So, you've I write got to politicians? You, sorry, you've got family? I've got family in Melbourne.
0: Uh, children or grandchildren?
2: Or? No, just young adults
0: young adults Yep. so how do they feel about climate change
2: they feel the way i do distressed but they don't know what to do about it
0: yeah Shamil, is there something else you'd like to say about climate change a sort of a statement to the world
2: (laughs) (laughs) well frankly i mean i don't want to sound alarmist but i think the way we are going to have to deal with climate change given the science given what's happening around the world and we just have to look at the last six months at what's happened in Australia and in other parts of the world, Germany, Canada, um, uh, what's happening in the, the North and South Pole. I think we need, to climb, we need to tackle climate change with the same passion, the same energy that we did with the COVID.
0: Thank you, Xiaomi. It was a pleasure to have a chat with you. Next, I got to talk with Frank Ryder from Sedgwick.
3: And why are you here today? Uh, because it's the sustainability festival and it have got lots of interesting things that are worthwhile.
0: So how do you feel about climate change, Frank?
3: Uh, I'm in total despair.
0: What does total despair mean?
3: Well, can I ask you a question? If we were to stop putting... Um, Greenhouse gases, you know fossil fuel emissions CO2 into the atmosphere today completely across the whole planet Do you know how much the temperature of the planet would still rise because of the latency of the system? Probably probably up
0: to 1.5 or 2 degrees or maybe even higher
3: Well, we're at 1.2 degrees already. We're,
0: at one, we're at 1.4 in, in Australia.
3: Yes So the best estimate that NASA can give and yeah. I've seen this on their website is another 0.6 of a degree so if you add that to the 1.2 global average, that's 1.8 degrees. And that's possibly minimal. And have you heard of the aerosol masking effect? Yes. So there are varying estimates on that, but some of the lower estimates are another 0.6 of a degree. So that automatically means that it's 2 degrees plus is locked in over 1880 to 1910 levels, which is where they've moved the current goalposts to from pre-industrial. So... <coughs> You tell me what you think can be done about that.
0: I'm asking you, Frank, what can be done about that. The
3: only thing that you can do about that is to completely collapse our global economy immediately and try and rewild the entire planet immediately to start sucking as much CO2 out of the atmosphere as possible. And that's not going to happen. So I I lie awake at night just thinking about all those tipping points which we're about to cross, like in the Arctic and in the Amazon, etc., and once they cross and they are really on the edge of crossing then you can't go back that's the thing about tipping points is that you can't go back so um i think everything that people are trying to do here is the right thing it's just that it's not enough and um so, I, so
0: when you say not enough what is enough
3: enough is like i said the complete collapse of the global economy and civilization.
0: So, so we've got a federal election coming up, so is we likely to make any headway in that at all?
3: No, 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 because if you look at the policies of each of our um, major parties, the policy of the Liberal Party is the early death of my children and, and possible grandchildren. The, pos- the, the climate policies of the Labor Party are the early death of my children and possible grandchildren. And I don't... And I know that's a hard thing to say, but I can't... If you look at the evidence, what else what other conclusion can you come up with?
0: So when did climate change cross your horizon?
3: Oh, well, I've known about it since the 90s, but I haven't, I suppose, taken it. I think I've started taking it really seriously last seven years or so, you know, um, when it's sort of the urgency of doing something became more and more apparent.
0: So when you say taking it seriously, what does that mean?
3: Um, taking it seriously, a few years ago, like, you know, back in the 90s or you know, 1988, when, you know, what's-his-name stood up in the U- US Senate and... Al Sorry? Al Gore. No, no. No. The scientist. Um, yeah. Name, no, I forgot. Um, you know, we could have done something to start to change our economy to, to something more sustainable and greener. But, and, but as the years have gone by, that is, of course... Become less and less a possibility. Mm.
0: So, what do you do personally? Anything at all? Or you yes, we with groups live, or
3: We live uh, off grid out in Sedgwick and um, uh, yeah, I grow veggies. I've, I've got solar panels on my roof. <laughs> um, but yeah, and try and keep myself busy.
0: Keep yourself busy. So, what do events like today mean?
3: It's both encouraging to see that more and more people are becoming aware that this is an issue but I don't see that people understand the need the changes that need to take place in the way we live because we're not willing to give up our you know our lifestyles we're not we don't want to give up our comforts um it seems to me and and so you know it's it's hard to see that enough can be done
0: what do you think climate change means for Central Victoria?
3: Good question. Um, it's really hard to predict, isn't it? It's um, what is it going to become like here um, as we go forward in my lifetime and then beyond? Um, certainly, um, it's pretty apparent that obviously we're going to get hotter and hotter summers on average. It's pretty apparent that. But on the other hand, we. We may get periods where we get lots of very heavy storms coming in off the, off the Great Southern Oceans. I mean, it's, it's hopefully a good thing going forward that we're next to the Great Southern Ocean and can get that weather coming in enough to fill our dams and keep us going through the next drought to the next next big storm. You know? <laughs> Is so, there
0: something else you'd like to say about climate change?
3: Oh uh, Yeah, good luck. <laughs> good luck. <laughs> um, <laughs> What else is there to say? I, I um, just think it's, uh, it's the issue that should be on the front page of every newspaper every day.
0: So, What do our federal government do, or what should they be doing?
3: Um, they should be telling the truth, like Extinction Rebellion say. They should be telling the truth, and then so that we can start acting to um, uh, adapt our lives to the changes that are coming. Are you involved as best we can. Like Millie was saying on the stage just there, you know, um, plants that can survive, you know, hotter and drier climates and all this sort of thing for as long as we can.
0: The Millie Frank referred to was Millie Ross from Gardening Australia, one of the speakers at the Sustainability Festival. Thanks, Frank. I thoroughly enjoyed talking with you.
4: Next, we hear about Sweeney's Creek Farm Hi, it's uh, Stephen O'Connor and Julianne Valentine from Sweeney's Creek Farm And tell me about Sweeney's Creek Farm uh, We're a 20 acre farm uh, on the other side of say, uh so just past Sweeney's Creek um, we have set up a, started to set up our homestead out there. Uh, we're doing no-till organic farming. Uh, we have some high tunnels. Uh, we have raised garden beds. Um, we're trying to use regenerative farming techniques to uh, reinvigorate the, the property and the land out there. Uh, we've got a 30-tree orchard. Uh, we have Murray Gray cows. We have chickens. We're hopefully eating pigs in there soon as part of that... Uh, uh, rotational grazing with various animals to help uh, regenerate the uh, the land and to and to really uh, reinvigorate it so where did this idea come from um, Julianne herself has been very much involved with uh, permaculture and uh, has been an avid gardener and grower of all things for, for many many years um, I originally came off a farm at Lockwood South as a young lad and has sort of uh, I've re- just re- reconnected to that uh, that growing experience and um it's just something that we've always had in the back of our mind we've always wanted to do and uh this particular property came up five years ago and we were able to secure it and um we moved onto the property um june last year so where, yeah. where does all your produce go at the moment we're uh consuming it ourselves we're also heavily into preserving um so we're we're bottling and Uh, turning into chutney and sauces as much as we can we donate to family and friends and we've actually just struck up a really nice uh, relationship with um, a a business at Say called Forage Uh, and we've been supplying we've just supplied them with some eggplants so hopefully that relationship will continue as well. So um,
0: So I imagine you see this as fitting in with what's what's needed in answers to climate change?
4: Absolutely Um, you know this, this farm that we took over is a prime example of the mistakes that we've made in the past you know it was completely cleared uh you know the ground's highly compacted with with cattle uh all the goodness and the nutrients really been been sucked out of the ground and nothing was put back into it so we're really viewing it as an opportunity to put a little bit back into the into the ecosystem if we did that more broadly in in a lot of areas then you know we would start to have a have an impact and a a change in what's happening so um you know we've taken away so much of the the organic and the biomass and the and the actual trees and plants um we need to put that back in and but we need to put it back into a way that still allows us to also harvest the food that we need which in our view will be more productive and, and a better product anyway so you've planted a number of trees. Uh, yeah, we've got uh, so we've got a fruit orchard in the middle um, uh, of various uh, fruit trees. Uh, we have a long-term plan to bring native plants back in uh, in various locations throughout the property. Um, I'm very much committed to supporting local animals. Um, I work as a venomous snake relocator part-time. Uh, so, you know, I have a real passion for, for our parrots and reptiles and that. So, um, yeah, I want to see banksias and, and uh, local native plants re-established in, on our property as well uh, in such a way that, that it harmoniously blends in with what we're doing and, and provides support and habitat for our native animals.
0: I have a friend who's quite concerned about feral cats. So would you see that as a problem... Or- no, they're, they're, you would say there's a problem.
4: Look, feral animals in particular, uh, you know, without singling one species, are, is a massive problem uh, around Australia. Feral cats themselves are, are an extreme, uh, very much on the extreme end of that that threat. Uh, feral cats are, are a massive problem to our, our native animals. Um, you know, the, the millions of animals that are slaughtered every week through feral cats, and also domestic cats that are that are not, Kept responsibly on their in their uh, on their own yard, so um, it's been really good to see the Bendigo Council uh, implement a 24/7 uh, cat uh, curfew and and a requirement to keep all new cats uh, within the constraints of your property. I think that's a fantastic move, um, but yeah, certainly between the feral cats and pigs and dogs and camels and horses and everything else, cane toads that we've got out there, um, you know, our our native animals and our, our native ecosystems are very much in threat. Probably more so now than they ever have been. So, what
0: local government area is your farm in?
4: Uh, so we're in the Greater Bendigo um, uh, Precinct. Um, so we're eight k's outside of Stafford say or about 20 k's outside of Bendigo. Um, yeah.
0: So is the, is the is the council supportive of what you guys are doing?
4: I believe so. Um, yeah, your, your um, friend over there's nodding. Yes.
2: So. <laughs> yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. Look, I, I believe so. Um, there's certainly everything that we've needed to do. The Benigo Council has been quite supportive so far, and um, uh, as I said, you know they, they have a number of initiatives that that as a a bit of an eco warrior that I've certainly been quite supportive of, uh, and it's great to see those initiatives taking so, place.
0: So, what's in the future for your farm? Uh,
4: bigger and better, um, more. More plants, more more trees. Um, how, many, how big do you say it is? Uh, we're on 20 acres. Um, we've got it split into 15 acres um, at the back, five at the front. Uh, so at the moment, our organic farming and garden beds are in the front section. Um, the back section at the moment is for our small herd of Murray Grey cows. Um, Gray cows themselves are a fantastic producer of an amazing organic material, um, cow manure in the <laughs> garden beds. Uh, just what they produce and get back—if you can get that back into the soil and turn it over and get it in there—it's it's just amazing. You know, um, there's no such thing as a. Uh, you know as a, a bad farm animal, but it's, it's about bad practices, you know And it's about making sure that they have a limited amount of time in a particular area and to, and rotate them around to get the Benefit of having them there is our philosophy.
0: So how long do you say you've been farming there?
4: Uh, coming up to, to one year, so we're very much in infancy stage at the moment and um, uh, certainly uh, a lot of long-term plans uh, in the the offing so uh, we want to register our kitchen and uh, start to go to some of the farmers markets to sell our produce through um, chutneys and relishes and things like that um, which we'll be very excited for Um,
0: So so what do you think about the days like today?
4: Oh look this is fantastic Um, we need to have more days like this to to get the message in front of people Um, you know one, one thing that the COVID pandemic and um, and now with the pricing of uh, petrol and things like that has really put in front of people is that, you know, we were really dependent on the systems and, you know, and the systems took advantage of that. And then as the pandemic hit, you know, being more self-sufficient became so, so, so important. Um, and, and really, you know, a lot of people have opened up their eyes to I can grow this in my backyard. I can preserve this for later, later use, and um, it's been really great to see that um, side of things start to become more and more popular.
0: My friend Terry's always got a question about something. You got yeah. a question, Terry?
4: Oh, you put me on
0: the
5: spot there, Rob. <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> no, uh, I've, I've, I was very interested. In, I'm the friend that he had that uh, was interested in feral cats, by yes, the way. Yes, yeah. oh, yes,
4: yep.
5: <laughs>
0: no, I, and I didn't know about the Bendigo. Actually, you, you're putting in the 24/7 uh, restriction, and that's something I'll take away from today. Yeah, and have another go at our council
4: as well about that. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So,
5: but well done. You're uh, you're certainly
0: across the topic. You got you got passion. You have got a good partner in crime there. So uh, uh, the,
4: this Julianne is just a powerhouse for, for our farm and, and also for our, uh, we also have a YouTube channel that we document um, all of our uh, our progress and what we're doing out there as well. So we so, look at that as an opportunity to show what we're doing and to give ideas for people and educate people, but also an opportunity for people to tap in and, and feedback to us, say, if you tried this, and we've made some amazing um, homesteading slash preserving slash prepping friends from all around the world um we've got a great relationship with a lot of american channels and um we get on really well with them they love what we do and and vice versa so where do we find the youtube channel uh so if you go to youtube and do a search for sweeney's creek farm um and uh yeah it should should come up uh pretty first one one, yeah Uh, we've got a nice little white and green logo with a um yeah it's very easy to pick up and so Um, where will i find your email address uh and on the channel, there's an about page uh an about tab on the page. Um, we've got our email address, contact details there. Great. If anyone's interested in contacting us, um, yeah, please. On
6: Facebook and
4: Instagram. Um, yeah, sorry, and we're also on Facebook, Instagram, uh, all the social medias out so there. So you're, you're everywhere. We try to be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Our, our plan is certainly to. Um, we, we'd like to be one of the eminent. Um, uh YouTubing channels in Australia um and certainly in, in this region here and uh we've just hit 850 subscribers so it's a, it's a good milestone we're it's just steadily brilliant. steadily creeping up yeah. um yeah um but uh yeah we've we also we admire some of the other channels there, there's another channel up in Queensland called uh, self sufficient me um mark and mark is just amazing with his channel so uh you know our, our aim is to be as successful as what he does and uh mm. yeah he runs a great channel
0: Okay. I've got no no other questions, so thanks very much. Thanks for the opportunity. Really appreciate it.
7: Next,
4: I get
0: to talk with Sue McLaren. Before we go any further, I need to know who you are.
8: Oh, okay. My name is Sue McLaren.
0: Where are you from, Sue?
8: Well, I currently live in Kangaroo Flat.
0: And so why are you here today?
8: Well, I thought it would be good to see what people are doing in terms of sustainability.
0: And why are events such as this important?
8: I think it's um, important for all humanity in the future.
0: And so how do you feel about climate change?
8: I feel that um, our current government is not doing enough about it, doesn't recognise it about about it. And, um, well, I think the thing that concerns me the most is that I was travelling through... I've just come back from travelling two years around Australia... And caravan and the sorts of things I saw made my heart very sad. things like particularly through the areas of um, of where they're growing cotton I saw bulldozers bush- pulling down trees I saw parts of the land where I could look in all directions and not see one tree not one tree
0: what well, they'd been cleared
8: They'd all been cleared
0: to grow cotton
8: to grow cotton and cash crops. Now that's happened in a lot of places overseas, including um, in Africa, where they, they pulled out beautiful tree canopies to put in cash crops like coffee, and then the land ended up degraded beyond repair. And the same thing's happening here. I'd like to see a, uh, a law that says every farm has to have at least 10% of its land covered in trees. If, you know you'd make it so that it was a property greater than so many acres or yeah. so many hectares as they call them these days. But I would then it would create a corridor for the wildlife to, because those farmers would put probably them on the edge of their properties, and the next thing you'd have a wildlife corridor mm. so that our koalas could go from place to place and not get run over on roads because they have to cross them.
0: So how do you feel about climate change?
8: That's all part of it. That's all part of it. The change is happening and it's because of the way we're...
0: Our behaviour.
8: Our behaviour and what Mm. we're doing to the land. I went um, to Carnarvon Gorge. You see where there's parts of the land that hasn't been... That's inaccessible. So the trees there have been there forever and then they grab the water out and then they put it down into the water table that goes down into the... In, into the, in the environment Now That only happens because it hasn't been Reduced to nothing We humans haven't, haven't Been able to access it
0: So when did climate change first cross your horizon Sue?
8: I think it's always been there I've, I've noticed <laughs> I know that we don't we, we have got the same amount Of water in our environment Around the globe but it's just shifting. Mm. It's shifting from the the polar regions and it's we've got water coming in places where we never had it before, too much of it, other places that are so dry. And that's to do with climate change and that's to do with the fact that we humans are stuffing things up.
0: So what do you think needs to happen federally?
8: For, on a federal level, I'd like to see them um, not kowtow to the mining companies so much, Um and um, we need to do something about not using fossil fuels, not using gas and not wrecking our country in, in getting those things out in the first place.
0: So where did you say you're from, Sue?
8: I'm from Kangaroo Flat.
0: And so you think what's happening locally is good enough?
8: Is good enough? Yeah. Um, it's a start, but it, it, the problem is it's too late. In my opinion, it's too late, and the scientists are saying the same thing. And there's still many people who don't believe it.
0: What do you think we should do to prepare for a changing climate? Well, how should we do that?
8: Well, I think we need to we need to think about um, how we how we farm, where we put our properties, instead of putting them in places where it hasn't, uh, you know. And councils are bad at this. A river hasn't flooded for ages. They allow houses to be built on that flood and then 10 years later those houses are underwater. They forget. People have a collective short memory, I think.
0: Does climate change stress you?
8: No, I won't allow it to. Well... I guess I do get uptight about it. Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> when, you, when you said I don't allow it to, how do you don't? How do you don't allow it? Oh to?
8: well, I guess what I have to do is remove myself from the conversation every so often. <laughs> otherwise, yeah. otherwise I get a bit upset.
0: Have you got children?
8: I do. I have children and grandchildren, and I worry for them in the future, particularly my grandchildren.
0: So they're quite young, the grandchildren. Obviously?
8: Oh well, they range in age from 26 to seven, so quite a range.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So and I do
8: worry about their future.
0: You and I think this in
8: terms of repairing. another thing is things like not allowing houses to be built too close to the um, to the foreshore, because if if the um, if the water rises, they're going to be in strife.
0: Do you do anything to personally counteract climate change?
8: I try. I try and recycle things as much as I can. I try and grow my own vegetables. I put in trees as much as I can. Um, it's about I all i can think of that i can do personally and i also advocate in terms of signing petitions Mm -hmm. and things like that
0: do you belong to any groups no have you thought about that no okay
8: um i've every time i've joined some sort of group i've found them to be far too narrow-minded and get a bit radical for my taste
0: yeah what do you think climate change means for central victoria this part of the world here
8: I think it's going to mean we're going to have longer, drier periods and then um, broken with big droughts, big, uh, sorry, big floods. Yeah, so, and I think that's pretty much the same everywhere. Central Victoria is a place where we don't have a lot of um, uh, topsoil in a lot of parts of it. And I think we need to be doing more about creating topsoil by... um, and, and planting much many more trees, making sure that those beautiful iron barks aren't cut out altogether. Mm. Trees are out the lungs of our earth, we need them. So
0: is there something else you'd like to say about climate change or make some other comment about today's event fragmentation?
8: Look, I've only just arrived um, Robert. Robert, so um, I um, haven't really had a chance to <laughs> have a look around.
0: It seems really good to me, so I trust Mm. you'll enjoy it.
8: I'm hoping so too. Uh,
0: Yeah, thanks very much Sue. Thanks very much, Robert. Thank you. Next we talk with Anne Denham, who said before the interview actually started that the Bendigo Festival was a wonderful and exciting event. Let's have a listen now to Anne. For the record, I need your name, thanks.
5: Oh, it's Anne. Anne who? Anne Denham.
0: Where are you from, Anne?
5: Uh, Bendigo.
0: So what do you think about today's festival?
5: Oh, I think it's really, really wonderful. It's in a fantastic, beautiful venue in the, uh, what's it called? Sustainable Garden?
0: Gardens for the Future.
5: Gardens of the Future in White. Well,
0: Gardens for the Future,
5: yeah. Yeah, and uh, there's many, many stalls and they're all really interesting, Uh, climate-orientated, of course.
0: So why are you here today, Anne?
5: Uh, well, I'm a member of the Bendigo Sustainability Group and I actually made some things for them to sell on their stall, but I, I just... I was here last year and I was so impressed I really wanted to come again and see all the different um, stalls. Yes. And, How
0: know, do you feel about climate change?
5: Oh, uh, well, it really upsets me, actually.
0: When you say upsets you, what? what's... Well, it that?
5: mainly upsets me to see that the Australian Government not doing what they should be doing. You what know, what do you think su- they should be doing? Well, I don't think they should be supporting fossil fu- the fossil fuel industry because as long as they do that, it reduces how much support goes to renewable energy and it just keeps things going in a negative direction. Mm. And um, uh, it's not just the Australian government, although the Australian government is particularly bad. Uh, it's other governments as well because... Well, I mean, that latest news about um, the carbon credits that farmers are getting and mm, other yeah. people and businesses, and uh, this uh, leading professor, Andrew McLaren, McFarlane, is it, came out and said that it's a rot.
0: Yeah.
5: I mean, that's so depressing. It's really upsetting.
0: When did climate change first cl- cross your horizon? Oh,
5: uh, well, in the 1970s when I was at university.
0: <laughs> so, so it's been on your mind for a while?
5: Well, yeah, but I spent a lot of years not doing anything about it, which I feel guilty about.
0: So what do you do now?
5: Oh, well, I do as much as I can. I, I'm, um, I'm a, a member of the Bendigo Sustainability Group. At one stage I was on the committee. I make um, cotton and bamboo dishcloths... Uh, ba- um, boomerang bags, shopping bags out of uh, material I get at the op shop and produce bags and I give them to the Red Cross shop, donate them and they sell them, uh, 3 dollars for the dishcloths, $10 for the shopping bags and $2 each for the produce bags and that's what I mainly do at the moment.
0: You commented earlier about what the federal government should be doing. Can you expand on that at all? Uh,
5: Well, um, I think they ought to be putting... Well, they should be doing the uh, carbon credit scheme properly, auditing it properly, making sure that uh, businesses that that are paying for carbon credits are actually getting what they're paying for. Like... On the news um, yesterday, there was a farmer. He's signed up for 25 years for carbon credits on his land and they pl- they've planted trees and they went all right for three years and then they just went downhill because it's a very dry area and it's no good for growing, um, a, you know, a forest like that. You can't do it. Yeah. And so they need to audit that properly. They they need to stop putting... Um, Uh, coal and mining executives into consultation um, positions with the government. It's like a revolving door of um, CEOs of fossil fuel companies in the government. Uh, I mean, that's just terrible. In Mm. fact, um, uh, Andrew... McFarlane, is it? The one who just resigned from I think that's his name, yeah. Yeah, uh, he's been replaced by a coal lobbyist. Mm. I mean, you know, that sort of thing, I just, they shouldn't be doing. They should be really having a plan for the transition to renewable energy and working on that. And not lying. Andrew Taylor's a liar. I mean, he really is. He's just a liar.
0: Angus Taylor. Yeah.
5: Angus Taylor. Angus Taylor, yeah. Yeah, Angus Taylor, he's a liar. Um, Like, (laughs) you know, that farmer was interviewed saying how the carbon credit scheme isn't working on his land and then they interview Angus Taylor and he says how wonderful it is and how it's really working. Well, who knows better? Mm. The man on the land or the guy who's keeping his power in Canberra. So what's
0: happening here in, in Bendigo with regard to climate change?
5: Well, I'm very happy with the council. They've done some wonderful things. And, I, I mean, I, I've been... In Bendigo, it would be easy to be complacent about it because we really haven't had... Well, there was a, a bad fire in... Um, I think it was in the 90s. Or well, there was a very bad bushfire that affected Bendigo, but generally uh, we're not affected too badly. I mean, there was a really bad drought as well um, in the 90s and there was water restrictions, but it's nothing compared to what people in New South Wales and Queensland have been going through.
0: How do you think we should prepare for climate change?
5: Well, you could, like, buy lots of food and toilet paper and stick it in your basement. (laughs) No, I I think uh, you just... um, Well, do you mean me personally or just in general? Well, just generally, yeah. Uh, Well, I think some things are already being done. Like, you know, obviously you need um, better facilities to... ..government facilities to deal with drought and bushfires. Although I think, you know, the the bushfire... the, ..the firefighters have probably been working to be prepared for the future... Oh, I suppose, you know, provide... There's some things that, that are being done that are, that are good, that the government's doing, like providing um, rebates for people to get solar and all that sort of thing. That's not mitigating... Clim- well, it is mitigating climate change, really, because it's less um, dependence on fossil fuels. Mm. Mm. Um, when I say government, I'm really talking about the federal government. I think the Victorian government's done really well. And... Local governments are doing really well. Mm. Yeah, like Bendigo's particularly good. I don't know... I I go to Geelong a lot and they've got green bins but they don't have organics like we've got. You can't put food or anything else in their green bins. Bendigo's got that and that's really terrific. And Bendigo's also... um, The council is also working on reducing what goes into landfill um, by... uh, establishing a number of small, um, you know, methane-to-energy facilities. I think they're going to have another bin for plastic, Mm. uh, soft plastic, you know, these sorts of things.
0: What do you think climate change means for central Victoria?
5: Well, I think it's going to get hotter. There's going to be more droughts and less water and, you know, Bendigo's like... It's a real danger for Bendigo, that sort of thing.
0: Bendigo Bendigo's never been blessed with too much water, have they?
5: No, but there, there's been some terrible droughts. Like, uh, when I go... Uh, d- if you look at the difference in temperatures between Geelong and Bendigo, it's quite remarkable. Like, quite often, Bendigo is actually 13 degrees hotter mm. than Geelong. And um, so, obviously, water conservation is really important. You know, awareness of not wasting water. And... Uh, Things like this garden, you know, water, good gardens for a dry climate.
0: And You said you were involved with the Bendigo Sustainability Group, so yeah. are you, you're still a member?
5: Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: And so is, that's a good group, I take it?
5: Well, yes, they've done some wonderful work. Like when you
0: <laughs> say wonderful work, can you give me an example well,
5: of that? Well, yes, um, they've had two... Uh, well,
0: well, this event for one, I suppose.
5: Well, that's right. This is run by the BSG. yeah. yeah. But also they've... Um, been, they've facilitated the, uh, the solar energy solar panels going on to numerous houses and businesses in Bendigo there's been uh, this this um, the solar hub is working on that now uh, they've had two uh, five hundred thousand dollar approximately grants from the Victorian government to do that that's over a period of years lots of businesses they've solar panels on like the Even the Bendigo Library, uh, the the council archives, the tramways, uh, some social housing in Eaglehawk. Previous to that, you know, there was a number of um, retired men, um, uh, accountants and uh, engineers who worked on these sorts of things. Before that, there was more um, sort of demonstrations and things like that. Uh, it works on the on the basis of... Um, it's like an umbrella organisation and there's small groups within that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell me something about the membership of the Bendigo Sustainability Group? Is it made up of what sort of people?
5: Oh, uh, well... Um, I suppose in general they'd mostly be... Middle class, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. And is there something else you would like to say about climate change?
5: Oh well, um, I think it's important to stay positive. And you know, the world's going through a very hard stage at the moment with COVID. And
0: how do you stay positive?
5: Well, I play computer games <laughs> <laughs> and put it all out of my mind. Yeah. I do, I just put it, I just block it out because it's, you know especially with Ukraine and everything I mean the world's in a mess mm. and um, you know I just have to think well it gets worse before it gets better and this might be one of the lowest points and there's lots of good things happening that will burst into the light in the future
0: Yeah, and I don't have any more questions though, thanks very much, I've enjoyed okay, talking to you.
5: well thank you and I...
0: Next, we talk with John Doyle.
7: I'm living in Bendigo currently. Fr- so, why are you here today? I'm very interested in the future. I think we need to be optimistic, and I'd love to see what's happening towards doing that.
0: How important are events like today?
7: Uh, look, I've only just got here. I can't tell you much. Yeah. Um, I've had a look at um, a couple of stalls. Um, one was on uh, new designs for building, mm. um, energy efficiency, installation. I think that's um, going to be a big big step towards um, conservation. So how do you feel about climate change? Uh, climate change is real, I, I do believe it is man-made, uh, all the pressures of the population on the planet and uh, what we're consuming and producing and polluting has to have some effect, so I, I think it's real. So when did climate change cross your horizon? Well, I've heard about it pretty well all my life. Um, during the 70s, we had um, the French, and um, they were nu- nuclear tests at the Atoll, and um, we thought it was going to be a nuclear freeze. Obviously, now it's climatic um, global warming, so it's, um, it's gone from one extreme to the other there, but uh, whatever happens, we are affecting the climate. It's probably probably more, more extremes. I think it's a question of climate extremes person.
0: So what needs to happen federally to counter climate change?
7: Well, they need to be on board for God's sake. <laughs>
0: in Carrying
7: what? lumps of coal to Parliament House. they would be scared it's a lump of coal. I'm scared. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm scared. Scared me. <laughs> yeah.
0: So what, what's happening with climate change? You're from Bendigo, aren't you?
7: Well, I'm currently in Bendigo. I'm from yeah. Swan Hill.
0: Oh, okay. Pretty much. Well, it's part of the world, effectively. Yeah. So do you think what's happening in Bendigo is okay?
7: Uh, look, I'm not really across what they're doing here. Not fully abreast of what's going on. Yeah. Uh, the fact that we've got this expo thing here today, I think that's fantastic because it increases awareness. Yeah. So what do you think we should be doing to prepare for climate change? Absolutely anything and everything we possibly can. Um, I think um, everybody has to take individual responsibility and um, think about what we're doing, that's all. Um, so, sort of recycling's a joke, everything's just dumped in the landfill, and uh, I'm in the building industry, I've had my own construction business. Houses now are just destroyed and trashed, and I don't know whether the timber's pulverised and recycled, but everything just basically goes to landfill, as far as I can tell. And In that case, it didn't used to. Not in the, building. the building used to be re- recycled, demolition. People would come in and recycle, mm. resell everything, and that doesn't happen anymore. So do you think...
0: Response to climate change is it an individual issue or is it a government issue?
7: I suppose. Yeah. We all need to be in accord. I mean, we need to be working together on this. I mean, Australia's only a small player, but we should, we used to lead the world in so many ways, and now I don't know what happened. It was corporate greed, we just lost our way, we're just hanging on to what we've got. We need to um, reassert ourselves as leaders. Does the thought of climate change stress you at all? No, it doesn't stress me. I'm nearly dead that <laughs> I'm concerned about the future generation, and I think they need hope. Now I, I think it's it's still doable. Whatever we do, it's going to help. If we, so do you do direction.
0: anything personally to counter climate change? Big pardon? do you do anything personally? <laughs> then?
7: Absolutely, yes. I've I've um, turned my house into a little forest. I can't believe how good it's been. I come out in the morning, the trees and plants let go, of, let the drop their all their oxygen and. and all the fresh fruit and vegetables, um, things just taste better. You pick it ripe, it's free of pesticides and herbicides.
0: So you're growing all your own veggies and Absolutely, stuff? Absolutely, yeah, yeah.
7: And, and sharing them with the community, yeah. Yeah. Leading by example, you've got to lead by example. It's no good telling some little kid not to smoke with a smoke smoking it out of your mouth. Mm. You're just kidding yourself. Yeah.
0: So do you belong to any local groups? Or? No, I don't, no. I'm
7: just, a, just, um, just an average Joe Blow.
0: Well, we're all just average Joe blows, I think, aren't we? Um, what do you think climate change means for central Victoria?
7: Well, more extremes, as I said earlier. Um, it's going to get hotter, drier, wetter at times. we said wetter this year. Yeah. I mean, the normality is not going That's going to be the new normal, which is extreme. John, yeah. is there something else you'd like to say about climate change? Yes. Uh, give it a go and you'll get there as far as climate action... In a positive sense, I think we need to be very positive for our young people. I um, mean, um, never give up, never give up. And um, every person, I believe in, um, is it the butterfly theory, when a butterfly flaps its wings on one side of the world? Yeah, and affects. I think it's the butterfly theory, yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway, look, um, power of one. Mm. Every person affects every other person. I particularly think older people such as myself need to take their leadership role. And... Um, because we are sort of considered part of the establishment, I suppose. So we need to be a good example, that's what I'd like to say. We need to lead, and we need to build up young people to fulfil those leadership positions later on. Mm. We need to nurture Mm. and groom young people, and especially young men. I think young men, for various reasons, seem to be dropping the baton a bit. So we need to encourage young men, I think, particularly. The Bendigo event was pretty much over. Some stands were packing up,
0: and I felt I should join them and pack up as well. But then, suddenly, Michael Chew appeared. Michael Chew from Castlemaine appeared and said he would like to say something. And being a fellow who understood storytelling, he seemed like the ideal person. I hadn't unplugged my recording equipment, so let's have a listen to what Michael had to say. Michael, why are you here today?
6: Ah, well, um... I've, I've Sustainability, environment's a passion of mine and I grew up on a farm not too far away actually so it's good to when we saw the festival was on it was like oh let's see you know who's working in the space and inspiring people.
0: So how important are events like today?
6: I think they're crucial because we basically need to um, transition I guess from <laughs> a society where people don't really value the environment and the the role that it plays in underpinning everything um, to something where where people, yeah, understand about the environment and the importance in everyday life. and So, so how it's impo- essential, essential. Yeah, essential. yeah. So how do you feel about climate change? Oh, I mean, it's one of probably the key defining issues of my time, uh, of our time, I guess, collectively, and my time. <laughs> I, I worked in Bangladesh on climate change, actually, for a year and seeing firsthand communities that... Um, you know, have been um, displaced from due to sea level rise and and cyclonic flooding in the deltas in Bengal and and seeing the ripple effect of that, uh, of of people ending up into slums and all sorts of things and seeing how that is borne by, I guess, communities that have the least responsibility in driving those changes. So I think for us people, particularly here, Australia being a very rich, developed country, um, it's very important that we understand our role and our, um, our responsibility.
0: What do you think our role is?
6: I guess our role is to probably move from being probably the back of the pack and being a total laggard, <laughs> <laughs> because our, our political systems were captured by the fossil fuel industry, to first, I guess, to probably loosen the grip of that um, capture by those industries and then I suppose I think unleash a lot of, yeah, innovation and creativity that, uh, around, um, yeah, you know, decarbonising and, and so forth. But we, we kind of need to do both. We need to kind yeah. of get the, um, get the sort of capture and that um, influence of the, the fossil fuel industry out while also, yeah, providing all So, so
0: where did you say you were from?
6: Castlemane. Castlemane. Castle so, yeah.
0: so what's happening with regard climate change in that part of the world?
6: Well, we just moved recently, so I'm, I, I'm, I'm not so informed, but, but I know on a community level there's a zero-net uh, missions plan, a Z-net plan that's been developed through a lot of consultation with all sorts of groups and that. And what I like about it, it kind of expands... Because um, Castleman and Mount Alexander, of course, there's a lot of creative creative people and arts and all that. It actually has a role of arts in that role because often these kind of plans can be quite... Um, what's the word, you know, bureaucratically or scientifically minded, um, that they, you know, they don't outreach, they're not great at outreaching to the broader community. And I feel often the arts and that are great ways of expanding the conversations to a broader field. So that, that's something I'm particularly excited about in, in the kind sort of Castlemaine area.
0: So how do you think we should prepare for climate change?
6: Well, it's I mean, it's happening now. So I think a key thing... Preparing, I, f- I find, I mean, people talk mitigation, adaptation. I think, key, you know, key things I feel, uh, you know, anyone can do is reduce, you know, their meat consumption. I think, you know, Australia's made a lot of wealth being on the, the back of the, the cattle and whatnot. <laughs> and I feel like we've, we we can, if if we all can lower a bit of our meat consumption, that can be a huge, huge way on a personal level. So those are all the personal things we can do but really, to solve the climate p- problem, it's not a personal, individual issue. It's it's a structural issue. So we need to effectively, you know, elect the politicians or hold the politicians to account. Um, and, and like I said before, a lot of it is around this fossil fuel having that inordinate influence. So we need to, you know, have a strong, informed citizenry. Uh, and it's a good timing when there's an election coming up and... People should kick up a fuss at this time.
0: Does the thought of climate change stress you at all?
6: Um, it 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 does, but I, I'm generally an optimistic person, so I, I probably generally look at the optimistic parts of it. But yeah, when I particularly when I was working in Bangladesh and I, I saw firsthand, I suppose the impact with climate refugees, um, it was pretty distressing, and knowing that actually on a stochastic statistical level, you know, our emissions are, are driving this. So I felt this strong sense of responsibility there. So, and I, I feel that's the thing that people, yeah, if if people really um, consider what's going on, uh, you have to feel, you have to sort of feel it. And and I, I like, um, his name Paul Hawkins got a great quote, which is saying... Um, if you, if you look at the data and you're not freaking out, you haven't got the right data, you know. <laughs> but if you meet the people that are doing things and you're not moved, you haven't got a heart. So it's kind of, I feel it's like there's a realism in being informed with, you know, everything from what's IPCC doing to what's the local group doing. But then you have to, yeah, take action or we can stay in despair and, and not do anything.
0: So, what are you doing anything personally to, to counteract climate change?
6: Um, at the moment, I'm I'm working with uh university of Hong Kong. I've got um, a few interns that I'm basically supporting them to to organise a environmental an online environmental um, film competition. So, yeah, it's sort of through storytelling. I, I I finished a PhD recently, which is around environmental storytelling. So I'm quite passionate about how people can kind of use their own personal stories to communicate the issues of our time effectively
0: so how do you encourage the use of storytelling
6: uh through photography and video i suppose i was working with people you know some slums in bangladesh with getting camera phones to to kids there that have never used a camera before but they can take pictures of their area and tell their relationship with the place and then You know, I was doing workshops with some schools here so they could see a kid from Bangladesh and some photos there and get a sense of what that world was like. So, yeah, I feel like particularly with climate issues because it's the classic of, like, you have to act local but have a global, be informed by global perspectives that stories are really important because stories can help us see um, and, and feel. It's often the emotional things what other people on the other side of the world, you know,
0: What are you doing now in Castlemaine?
6: Oh, at the moment, yeah, it's that kind of project. Um, Working through that, it's the Rotary Peace Fellowship, actually, so it's looking at sort of connections between peace and environment kind of thing. Um, And, yeah, there's sort of a few um, (laughs) percolations going around some future projects around images, like how do we use images to to get people to care about climate change, that kind of stuff.
0: Is there something else you'd like to say about climate change?
6: Well, I, I think the key thing is um climate change is it's 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 like a, in a way it's an emotional I find it's it's an emotional human issue and the way that we get information about it it's often and this is often the green groups where or the worst enemies sometimes because we're like, Okay, we have to be very le- legitimate or we have to count carbon and and, and and it's about those targets and that's all very important but essentially that's the um what's the word um symptom it's not the cause and our, the cause is our industrial way of life and the way that we um organize i guess our our, our systems of, of extraction so what do we do about that uh it's very it's, it's challenging I, I like to think um rob hopkins in the transition town model i liked his sort of model around like you know relocalization i think is a is a great model because it's not like, okay, we'll we'll try to fight for this one political system and get everyone agree and which isn't gonna happen, but it's like, yeah, you know, you get all all those local groups and, and the local knowledges and that's happening here, you know, the sustainable festival here. So I find, yeah, like transition towns and different relocalization models really inspiring. Um but yeah, ultimately it's about our relationship to to nature and and finding that well we're we're actually (laughs) the part of it so if we're injuring nature we're injuring ourselves so (laughs) thanks
0: very much i appreciate that it's been great to talk to you
6: thank you thank you for the time
0: thanks michael i enjoyed talking with you the day after the festival i caught up with the president of the bendigo sustainability group colin lambie colin was thrilled with how the festival went and this is what he had to say
9: Oh well, we we think it was a fantastic event. The um we had almost exclusively positive feedback. Uh, the 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 only negative comment was to do with a lack of shade <laughs> in the middle of the day, <laughs> <laughs> so, and uh, with seats, uh, lack of um places where people could sit in the shade. Uh, there was it was okay first thing in the morning, um and you know after. Two or three o'clock in the afternoon on that west side, but um, yeah, in the middle of the day, the, there was nowhere to get out of the sun.
0: It it's certainly was a great event, and I just loved the venue. I thought the venue was wonderful. Mm.
9: Yeah, we were there for the first time last year, and and we thought it was so good. We were certainly keen to get back there, and I assume we'll just continue going back there, and and I assume it'll we'll get better with the. Um, Building under construction. Apparently, it includes a cafe. (laughs) Uh, Although that might hurt the 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 vendors on the day that um, sell the coffee from the van.
0: How many stands did you have, or how
9: many? many Uh, There was over sixty. Yeah, there was. Well, there was over sixty stalls or vans or whatever you want to call them. Yeah. um, Exhibitors, Um, and there was the. I did hear a count of fourteen hundred, odd around about two o'clock before too so yeah must have got well over 1500
0: yeah it was pretty good attendance i thought yeah and all, everyone i spoke to all thought it was just a wonderful event so
9: yeah yeah um, we well, got that's it I, I was blown away um it and and the the, the organizers like i'm just um the head of the committee, you, you're the figurehead. The committee. <laughs> well yeah I no, and and whatever credit i get i don't deserve it's <laughs> it's a um it's a it's it was a team uh, like a subcommittee that does the organising and um and I mentioned their names on the Facebook page and mm. and we and we do pay a little bit to a couple of people um but yeah anyway but it was you know Michelle Pollard Liz Martin and Liz Martin did the marketing and did mm. <laughs> did her usual um fantastic job um and then yeah three committee members Ken Don and Jackie yeah. Have done a great job, and then you know. And I was also very. I'm always happy to see you know nearly all the committee um, turn up, and as well as you know other volunteers, There's people that I didn't even know, like I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. with the BSG vests. I was said, like, "What's your name?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you well, know, I know I know most of them, but yeah, not everyone. Yeah.
0: It was an excellent event, and uh, mm. of course, the weather was really kind to you as well. Mm. So, um,
9: yeah, well, I guess. Generally, we're going to have good weather at that time of year.
0: Well, it's it's a nice time of the year, generally, isn't it? Yeah,
9: yeah, yeah. And I guess like the the main sustainability festival, like in Melbourne, which goes for about ten days, it's different, and it's but it's earlier, like it's February. Yeah. And um, yeah. I reckon, you know, we avoid that because we reckon that to be too hot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or too to be too big a risk of it being too hot. Yeah.
2: Off.
0: Climate Conversations is published with the support of the Mark Spencer-published Climactic Collective, and it's just one of more than 20 podcasts making up that collective. More about the collective and the associated podcasts can be found at climactic.fm. Music for Climate Conversations is from the Melbourne-based group Music for a Warming World. You can find a link to that group in the episode notes. Responsibility for climate conversations rests with me. But you could help with the questions. And if there is something specific that needs addressing, but the question is not being asked of whom it should be asked, please make a suggestion and send it to r.mclean7 at iCloud.com. Earlier episodes of Climate Conversations can be found at the Climactic website. Simply search for climactic.fm. Go to the Climate Conversations artwork. Click on that, and there you will find all the other episodes. Beyond that, in all this climate chaos, remember just a few things. Put your faith in genuine climate science. Also, action is the best antidote to despair. And that, I must add, is one of the drivers of this podcast. And remember, be kind, for everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. That ends this episode of Climate Conversations. Thanks so much for your company, and until we talk again, please take care.